The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture is from Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days, that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Maddie. Again, it's great to be outside with you. Uh, if I missed you earlier, my name is Stacy Croft, and uh, I'm the pastor uh, for the Music Row location. And uh, hopefully you got to see Micah earlier. If you haven't met him, he, I don't know where he's sitting, where he went. He just left, and he's over here. He just said, I'm not preaching, so I'm not staying. So he just kind of took off. No, uh, he, uh, he's around here somewhere, so hopefully you'll get to grab him and see him. He is the uh, lead pastor at Coin and Inn. He and his staff are here as, long as, as well as ours, and so glad to have you here. And uh, this is just fun. It's a lot of fun. And if you've, uh, you know, I met somebody recently that was new to Nashville. And if you are, I know you hear about Music City and all the stuff that goes along with it. But there really is something about uh, Nashville in terms of the music and understanding it and getting into it. Uh, more than just listening to it. I'm sure you've had this experience. I went to a concert some years ago. And uh, it was a song I'd heard before on the radio. Went to hear this guy, Matt Carney. Maybe you've heard his name. Now he's a lot bigger. At this time, years ago, he was just kind of coming out of the gate. And the concert was about to begin. We were kind of sitting, actually standing at that moment, waiting for him to come out. And when he did, his first song, everybody knew, before he started playing, he started telling us about himself. And in that moment, he's telling us about his experiences, how he lived in Oregon, and he was driving down. And you hear all these things that he's telling you, and he's, they make all these connections to the song. He said, and that's where this song came from. And you're just like, oh. So next time I hear it on the radio, I, I, I don't just like it. I love it. 
because the experience just got into me. And I totally understood where he was coming from. You know, the Psalms, which is the book that we're looking at, is really the songbook. It's the set list of the Bible. It's where all the people of God would go if they wanted to sing a song and really connect to the Lord, whether it was one of thanksgiving, and we're going to see one next week, of uh, one of uh, deep lament, We've seen some that are about Jesus specifically. I mean, there are all these kinds, but there are very few of them that when you read them, they have a direct link to a specific time and space and history where you know where it was written, where you can actually hear the author, in this case, David, actually say, hey, I wrote this when, and this is one of those Psalms. He says this at the very beginning, listen, he says, and this is something we didn't read when we read it. This is that, those titles, you know, you maybe skip by. It says, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and went away. In this Psalm, it's quoting from a part in the Old Testament. And if you're unfamiliar with the Old Testament, the Psalms are a large book, almost dead in the middle of your Bible and in the Old Testament. And this is talking about a historical book in Samuel when David was on the run and he was running from Saul, the king that was ahead of him. And, and Saul recognized and knew that this guy was gonna be king. He had already slayed and defeated Goliath. Maybe if you've heard that story of David and Goliath, maybe if you're even uh, unfamiliar with the Bible, maybe you've heard that in just culture. But David had just done that. He's on the run, he's fleeing him. And where does he flee to hide? Gath, and that is the home of where Goliath came from. <laughs> and so the people there recognize him. They say, there's that guy. Hey, isn't that David? Isn't that the guy that just took down our biggest warrior? And in order to get out of it, he changes his behavior, as it says here. He acts crazy. He acts insane. Hoping that the guy will be like, uh, and he does. And the king at that time says, eh, let's not mess with him. He's kind of weird. He's a lot stranger than we thought he was. Uh, let's let him go. And after that, he finds himself alone and he writes down this psalm of thanksgiving to thank God for sparing his life. And, and here's the thing. When you talk about a psalm, when you talk about a passage, you talk about thanksgiving, especially in a sermon at a church service, Thanksgiving can kind of take on maybe like this sweet sentimental kind of feeling. It's not that. This psalm is actually saying, how do we live and grow and become a people of thanksgiving? Not just where we kind of say it, not where we can kind of look at each other and say, oh man, I'm blessed. We'll talk about that. But that we realize we're so overwhelmed with God's grace that gratitude can do nothing but flow from us. So we're gonna look at this psalm in two parts. We're gonna look at it as it breaks up of David's experience, and we're gonna look at David's experience, and then we're gonna look at the wisdom of thanksgiving. So the experience that he kind of extrapolates on, the song where he says, hey, this is kind of what it felt like to be in this moment. And then also he says, he turns it, he says, let me teach you how to live this out. So his experience and wisdom. The first few verses here really draw it out. 
They say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. There are these grand words, bless, boast, magnify. It's to push outward. It's to make this thanksgiving big. And where does it go? I don't know about you. It, this happens from time to time for me. Um, and usually around the Christmas time, when you're maybe in a line at a Starbucks and it's one of those drive-through lines and somehow you pull up and all of a sudden the person giving you your coffee says, hey, the person in front of you bought your coffee. And you're like, whoa, that's awesome. You feel this overwhelming gratitude. All of a sudden you realize, wait, I'm in one of those lines, pass it, pay it forward kind of coffee line. You start realizing, oh, I need to, I'm, yeah, I should pay for the person behind me. That'd be great. You know, it kind of inspires you to do it. And then maybe you look in the rear view and you're like, wait, how many people are in the car? Don't know how many people. So all of a sudden this, this gratitude, this overwhelming thing, and it usually happens around Christmas, you know, the holiday cups. Everybody loves those like red cups that come out and they use them all the way into February. And you love those things. The gratitude starts turning into not gratitude of I'm grateful for this coffee and for this stranger who doesn't even know me, but acknowledges me enough to say, I'm going to give some cost of myself. I start moving into a place of, man, how much is going to cost me? Like the gratitude leaves quickly. And it does because what happens with the focus? Where does the magnification go? Where does the boasting go? Where does the blessing go? The blessing moves from what this person has done to me. And here's what happens with David. His blessing goes outward. It moves away. Bless, magnify, boast are all words that lift up to magnify, to make larger. Boast, to lift up and hold higher. To bless is to speak of greatly. It's all moving away from himself to God, to who he is. And I think, I, I want to draw one of these out in particular because I think this is what's interesting about the word. Maybe magnify and boast are words we might be used to, but to say, I bless the Lord may be a little weird. Because to bless God, wait, wait, isn't he the one to bless us? <laughs> Blessing and bless is a word that gets thrown around a lot for us. And, it, you know, we see it a lot. Hashtag bless, right? There's a woman named Kate Bowler who is um, assistant professor of Christianity at Duke University and um, Divinity School particularly. And she wrote a, a, an amazing article on this about what does it mean to be blessed. She says, this. She wrote this book, Blessed, and then realized right after she got a call from her doctor's assistant telling her that she had stage four cancer. The stomach cramps I was suffering, she said, were not from caused by a faulty gallbladder, but by a massive tumor. I'm 35. I did the things you might expect. Someone whose world has suddenly become very small. I sank to my knees and I cried. I called my husband at our home nearby. I waited until he arrived so I could wrap my arms around each other and we could say the things that must be said. I have loved you forever. I'm so grateful for our life together. Please take care of our son. And then he walked me from my office to the hospital to start what was left of my new life. But one of my first thoughts was also, oh God, this is ironic. I recently wrote a book called Blessed. And you know what she goes on to say about how we handle that? She says, over the last 10 years, being blessed 
as she says, has become a full-fledged American phenomenon. Drivers can choose between the standard mass-produced Jesus is Lord novelty license plate or blessed for $16.99 in a tasteful aluminum. When an America's Next Top Model star took off his shirt, audiences saw the tattooed above the bulging pectorals, blessed. When when it is a humble brag of the stars, hashtag blessed is the only caption suitable for viral images of alpine vacations and family yachting in barely there bikinis. It says, I totally get it. I'm down to earth enough to know that this is crazy, but it also says God gave this to me. And don't blame me, I'm blessed. She goes on to say this, blessed is a loaded term because it blurs the distinction between two very different categories, gift and reward. That bless and to be blessed and what emanates in thanksgiving is very different. When we know what it is, in other words, I love how she says this, thank you, and, and oftentimes when we take it in terms of what we've done, thank you, God, I could not have secured this for myself, but or it turns into implies something else deserved. Thank you, me, for being the kind of person who gets it right. In order for us to know what Thanksgiving really is, we have to experience Thanksgiving deep into our core, deeper and beyond the places where we think we've earned it, deserved it, or just have it and maybe need to pass it on. To be blessed hits us in ways that when your world isn't everything going smoothly, all your ducks in a row, but when everything is turned on its head completely, what comes from us? What comes from our mouth? This psalm is about David not in a different circumstance. He's actually in a cave writing this. He just happened to be away from the king who was about to kill him. But he's still on the run. He still feels the saliva in his beard from where he feigned his own insanity. He knows his reality is right there. And yet what comes from the deepest part of him is gratitude that comes out of him because he knows, as he says in verse six, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. If there is one place that drives us to know what it means to be thankful, it's when you actually touch and feel your own poverty. And that is not a place we feel often. I still have a very, very stark memory of walking into uh, the, the grocery stores, restaurants, and other places during the pandemic, shelves completely empty. We're not used to that kind of thing. And for most of us, we can go and pick and choose. We can actually walk into the grocery store, see an empty shelf, turn and pick something else. This kind of poverty that he's speaking of is not that. It's one that does not have agency in the moment. It's one who has found himself alone, isolated, and feels the depth of his poverty is one that he has no choice but to say, who is with me? Is it me? Did I do this or someone else? And then comes one of the most stark, beautiful verses that I think is often misquoted (laughs) right after that, when it says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
How can a man in the depth of his poverty then begin to look and say, taste and see that God is good? As I've read this verse, I've seen it for years. It's actually quoted often in the New Testament. One of the commentators I read said this, and it really struck me because I hadn't thought about it this way. He said, the problem with this is often we don't think of God literally enough. This verse is taken to like our experience and we just feel this feeling of God, but experiences are to be more than that. They're to be literal. They're to be physical. They're to be tangible. This is why the Bible is littered with them. Pastor Micah and I were talking the other day on the phone and we were catching up and we were talking about how we both took trips to Dollywood. I don't know if you've been to Dollywood. You need to go to Dollywood. We were talking about our different like favorite things there and what we liked about it and and uh, what was awesome, what was kind of like, oh, it's okay, that scares me, don't do that, you know, watch this. And it was where we both landed, we started talking about roller coasters. And we started talking about the roller coasters, and, and also we started talking about the roller coasters, and then he said, no, I only rode one roller coaster. I said, whoa, wait, you only rode one? I said, I rode these, and the one roller coaster he rode, I did not ride because it was turned off because there was like all these mess ups on it because I was like, I'm not riding on that. And we started talking about our experiences of roller coasters. Him saying, I loved it. He said, I think my eyes were open only 10% of that ride. It's called the lightning rod. It goes straight up and straight down if you've been there. I was on this one called the Flying Eagle that you literally are hanging. It's one of those where you sit in a chair and your legs dangle and it just goes up and over and through. It's so smooth. You feel like you're running on air, but it is freaky. And you know what's amazing is us sharing our experience. We were talking about the experience, but if we stop at the experience, you lose the power of what is good about it. See, what, what the focus was wasn't our experience. Because it was different in each case. The focus was on the roller coasters. The tangibility of what it was. See, what David's getting at here isn't just say, hey, taste and see, have an experience of God, hope you feel it, and then run off of it. He's saying, no, 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 God is tangible. And he not only works in your emotions, but he works physically in your life. He is one to be tried and taken on. He is one to be experienced, but with deep reality that focus on who he is. This runs all through the scripture. Look, even in the New Testament, there's a really interesting passage where Jesus meets a woman at a well, Samaritan woman, and she's come there to draw this water out. And they have this conversation back and forth and it seems so confusing because he keeps telling her, hey, I'm gonna give you water that you'll never have to come back to this well again. And she's like, that's awesome. Where is it? How can I have that? He's like, yes, it's here. I will give it to you. And she's like, wait, wait, I'm still confused. You have no bucket. Why do you keep talking about a well and this water that's gonna spring up for eternal life? It sounds awesome, but how do I actually have that in my life? Doesn't it feel sometimes like we're dealing with this ethereal experience rather than reality? And when we talk about God and we come to a service like this, we sit on a lawn, we sing songs, we, we rejoice and we feel it and experience it, but do you often leave and go, hey, how does what we're doing here touch to what's going on out there? 
It's because God comes in a form. Notice the, the difference, the marked difference between Christianity and any other religion is not necessarily that you don't experience it. It's that you experience it, but you experience it through a God who actually clothes himself in the tangibility, in the reality, in the experience that you and I feel. So that he can burst forth through it and come into us out through it. It's not an ideal that you try on. It's not a philosophy you have to get. It's a person that comes. And there's something that David gets about this. When he says, taste and see that the Lord is good, he's saying God is more than an emotion. He has to be more than something I just pray to to get me out of hard circumstances. He is someone I relate to that's real, that knows exactly what I'm going through, that knows exactly day to day the pain, the sorrow, the loss, the joys, the highs, the elation, and yet it doesn't end at an experience. It goes further to be a stable relationship because look, any of us know that if you want a really good relationship with someone, if the only thing you get out of it is an experience, you don't know if you really have a relationship with that person. See, a real relationship goes up and down because this is why there's Psalms of Thanksgiving and also what we see Psalms of Lament. Because David can come to God, not just with thanksgiving, but with lament and know that his relationship with God doesn't change. So what transforms a heart into thanksgiving has to be more than going back to an experience over and over. It's walking step for step with the one who knows and loves you in your experience. This is why Jesus says to the Samaritan woman of the well, uncovers her entire sordid past. And where many of us may say, if someone knew those things about me, our intimacy, our issues, and then uncovered them right in front of us and maybe other people, we would feel nothing but shame. You know what she does? Because she realizes who he is. She runs to a town and says, hey, come see and meet a man who told me all that I ever did. Because she realizes Jesus is not just an experience, not just telling her to go get things right, but somebody who comes into her so deeply with this grace that nothing but gratitude comes forth, even covering her most shameful, difficult parts. That is Christianity. You wanna know the difference is the good news of the God. It's not just news, it's good news that tells you who you really are, regardless of your circumstances, and overwhelms you in your experience so that you can taste the reality that God is good. His quality is unlike any other. The richness of who he is is further than any profound wine or drink, any food that can taste our senses that we leave and we go, man, I got to eat there again. Those are mere tastes as we even have in front of us of who he really is, his reality of that we go back to over and over and over to taste that and live in that experience. And you know what I love about the Psalms is when David tells something like this and you go, whoa, how do you live like, how do you do that? 
And then all of a sudden he'll say, come, oh children, listen to me. I mean, he just flips it. He says, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And he doesn't do this just here. If you read the Psalms as a book, these songs come over and over again to sing and say, I will teach you. Let me teach you how to wed thanksgiving with your life. This is actually an Egyptian uh, and Hebrew kind of phraseology, something he would have grown up with as he would have studied Hebrew theology as a, as a boy. This phrase is not his own. He, he drew it out because it's one that says, hey, come learn. If you really want Thanksgiving to be more than experience, it has to be something learned. It has to be something where you, you see it not just as a doorway, but as a path. And that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is a path. I will teach you. And notice, what does he teach? The fear of the Lord. I was listening the other day and I love um, this podcast, How I Built This. I don't know if you've heard this podcast. It's a really cool podcast. It talks about uh, certain you know, CEOs or entertainers or whatever it is, that, how they developed their craft and created their business. And uh, they had Jimmy Fallon on this one uh, just to say, hey, let's talk about this guy who's not just you know, the host of The Tonight Show, but who really is an entrepreneur in so many different ways. And as he was telling about his history uh, when he was on Saturday Night Live and he was coming up through the ranks and his first show on Saturday Night Live, he played uh, Gilbert Gottfried, this guy who just screams all the time. He did all these impressions and he, he, he finishes the show and Lorne Michaels, who is, who is the uh, basically head of Saturday Night Live, he's done all these, uh, he's produced a million different things. It's kind of this figurehead of, him, of this. He's, he's always been a little bit like scared of him. And one of the co-stars uh, comes up to Jimmy and says, hey, the first thing you need to do is you need to go thank Lorne for just everything. Just go thank him. And he's like, no, 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 no. I, I don't want to bother him. I don't need, she, she said, no, no, no. You need to go thank him now. And he went up and thanked him. And he does this, you know, Lauren, I'm not going to do it. This Lauren Michaels imitation where he goes to me, he says, hey, Lauren, he kind of had his head down. He's like, thank, thank, thank you very much for having me on the show. Really enjoyed it. I think it went well. And, and Lauren Michaels just said, hey, yeah, it's, it's a great show. So glad to have you on it. And he said that was the catalyst for him to know, okay, the Thanksgiving connected <laughs> to this figure who he was so afraid and yet still wanted to work hard for, but it, it broke the seal of how, how does it look like for him to have fear and intimacy together? What does it look like for him to fear him and yet know he's thankful? That's what it means when the Bible talks about this. I think there are oftentimes ways that we go with fear and intimacy and we read it in the Bible and it says, I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Well, that doesn't sound like wisdom. That sounds like fear. Like how does wisdom of the fear of God match and wed with the intimacy of God? Well, oftentimes we probably come and maybe even a lot of people on this, this lawn have come from a background where we fear God far more than we have intimacy with him. I mean, to, to us, maybe he was that person that was like this. He said, you got to get it right. If you want to be near me, you better do what I ask. And maybe that for you is how you've grown up thinking about fearing the Lord. Or maybe it's the opposite, which is oftentimes we can swing to of being completely intimate with God without trying to fear him. 
In other words, uh, oh, he's, just, he's, he's there when I need him and I fear him when I need him, but he's really close to me. And yet, as one uh, cultural commentator said, oftentimes what we treat God like is a golden retriever. He's around. He's sweet. He, he helps us when we're sad. We feed him every now and then. We pay attention. We, you know, have our, our due time with him. But he only comes out and is, is kind of strong and powerful when we're kind of in a pinch. But this is telling us that he's both, that he has to be both. That fearing him means in order to have God and in a relationship with him, fear and intimacy go together. They meet together to walk in that. that. Think about how much our fear distorts us. To have fear in our lives, that what we fear distorts us. And, and notice this, if you are to pull back the rocks of your fears and to look what crawls underneath, quite often it's what we give most attention to. And when those things work out, is where we give most thanksgiving to. It's where we focus our attention the most. When you fear something, your anxiety builds. You focus on it. You put all your attention into it. You, you think, if I can handle this, if I can control this, if I have the right resources, I can manage my fear, and then I will live in a place of thanksgiving because I have it worked out, right? But what this is saying is that what if... Our fear is set into the right reality of any other fear. What if fearing the Lord calls us to see our fears? Think about that, even the language, magnifying, boasting, blessing. What if we're looking at our fears disproportionately? That if God is really who he is and greater and most to be feared, it can set all our other fears in right proportion and reality. It can draw out more in us. It can show us what we can really prize in life. It's not that we don't fear things. It's not that we don't have anxieties, but this is what Jesus does when he gives a sermon on the Mount and he says, don't be anxious about these things. Well, immediately you go, well, that's easy. That's Jesus. He's saying, don't be, don't be anxious. But he immediately goes to, he talks about creation. And I love that we're actually sitting outside for this. Because creation tells us that everything around us has needs. It pursues those things and that he provides. And then he, he gives a value statement. He says, how much more valuable are you than they? That he cares about you this much that the proportion is different, that he loves you this much, that he gives this much for you, that to fear him means he's the one who controls all things, but yet he comes near to you at the same time. And you know what's incredibly fearful about that? That he knows what's going on in me. That he would know the deepest corners of my heart and yet say, I want to exist there. I want to be there. That's where you see fear and intimacy come together in the wisdom of thanksgiving. Look, coming to a table like this one, it does numbers on us. Because what this table does is give us the taste and see that the Lord is good. And here's why. 
It's not just because you physically take it. It's because at this table, we have to acknowledge something that God has done in physical, tangible reality. It is something you experience. Notice, like anything else in the Bible, he wants you to take it. You can't just smell it. You have to taste it. You have to ingest it. You have to take it in. You have to experience this table to the full because it's a small taste of the experience of your relationship with the one who's given himself for you. And yet think about the profound wisdom of this. We can't just come to this table like it's any other table. There has to be a healthy fear. Because as we say, and I know Pastor Micah says it every week as well, that what we proclaim at this table, when we proclaim, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. And if we're proclaiming his death, it means he saw it fit, not for our cost, I mean, not for us to pay, but for him to pay. So that his deep, profound intimacy is on us. And that fear is a love of thanksgiving, that we come back to this table over and over with gratitude because there is overwhelming grace poured on us. If that's not profound wisdom, unmatched like anything else we experience in our normal everyday life, that it only gives us fear or intimacy, this puts them both and fuses them on the cross through Jesus Christ. If you're here today and possibly this table or anything I've said seems great and all, but you're kind of like, Man, I, don't, I don't know, I kind of want to keep trying it on. I kind of want to keep kicking the tires. Man, I love that. I'd encourage you uh, in your seat not to take the, the communion that was served to you, but just wait, hold. Come, grab somebody, talk to somebody you met. Grab me or, or, or Micah or one of our staff, somebody in a green lanyard, and let's talk about the reality of what it really means to taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't do it just because everybody else is doing it. Then it'd be disingenuous. Then you're taking on something you're not really fearing and knowing that it wasn't you that gave your body and blood, it's Jesus, right? But if you're here and you would say, you know what? I'm a poor woman or man. I find myself over and over trying to make it just to the next day, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Come taste and see that God is good and that he has never let you go. And he proves it by stepping into the difficulty, the power, the heartache, being poor, everything listed in this psalm he has done. Listen to this. He says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. This is your table. If you are brokenhearted and crushed in spirit, taste and see that the Lord is good, not just because he's good in quality or he says it, but because he's been crushed himself to mend your heart before the Lord himself. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's stand together.